0: Conspiracy show with Richard Seren from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium, and we are coming to you from the Great White North. Uh, Tim, Elbert, and I are all nestled in our cozy little studio located in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. Outside, the snow is blowing, and the temperature is uh, well—it's so cold at this point it doesn't even matter if it's Celsius or Fahrenheit. It's a great night to be inside listening to the radio. Uh, we are not doing a Google Hangout tonight, so no live stream on YouTube, just wonderful romantic late-night radio, sound with no pictures. Uh, speaking of pictures, not sure if you saw it on my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, but last week... After our remote viewing experiment with Dr. Douglas Cottrell, he sent me a picture of the object I attempted to remote view. You may recall I said I saw an orange-colored object the size and shape of a donut, Uh, but the first thing I saw was black. But I said, I'm seeing black, but I don't think it's black. Anyway, the object turned out to be an orange or reddish-orange travel clock with a white face and black hands, and it is indeed about the size and shape of a donut. And uh, the object, Melanie, our listener, uh, remote-viewed a quartz paperweight in the shape of a donkey. That's also up on the Twitter feed. And uh, Melanie won a pair of tickets to Follow the Truth in April for her trouble. Uh, Just a reminder, it's time to think about ordering your passes for my Follow the Truth conference happening Sunday, April 26th at the Region Theater in Oshawa. And for a complete list of speakers, visit dub. Dot follow the truth dot TV and stay tuned at the bottom of the hour for your chance to win a pair of passes I'll be asking you a skill tested question and then you'll call Tim here in studio and if you're the seventh caller with the correct answer you've won a pair of tickets to follow the truth stay tuned for that here's the plan for the next 45 minutes I've been thinking about these rampaging radical Islamists in Iraq and Syria ISIL Uh, And they reportedly beheaded another hostage, a Japanese journalist. And they were also holding a Jordanian pilot. Uh, They burned him alive. Uh, Now, regardless of who is really behind ISIL and who is funding them, and we've talked about that on this show, regardless, these people are psychopaths. Uh, But psychopaths aren't just terrorists and serial killers. They're everywhere. And I've come to believe that psychopaths rule this planet. Uh, The game... Uh, in fact, seems to be rigged in their favor. The system rewards psychopaths, so attention must be paid. Thomas Sheridan studies psychopaths. He's an independent alternative artist, author, satirist, musician, stand-up comic, filmmaker, and researcher, currently based in Ireland. His illustrations have appeared on the cover of numerous newsstand magazines, and he is the author of The Anvil of the Psyche and puzzling people, the labyrinth of the psychopath. Thomas Sheridan, how are you? Welcome to The Conspiracy Show.
1: Oh, I'm great, Richard. Very nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've got to
0: ask you, uh, a great website here, by the way, uh, ThomasSheridanArts.com, and uh, um, kind of a little dedication to the, uh, the horrible events in Paris uh, last month uh charlie hebdo they who come after the comics and the satirists are the most dangerous psychopaths and crazies on earth it says and uh there is an old adage that's once they start burning books next they will burn people is very true uh so very appropriate uh, that we're talking to you not only because of uh you know what's going on uh in uh in terms of uh terrorism and uh, you, you look everywhere Uh, There are psychopaths. (laughs) It's almost like, you know, uh, uh, the Red Scare and MacArthur, uh, um, or Senator McCarthy, rather. There's a a psychopath under every bed. Uh, I mean, comment on that, if you will. I mean, how prevalent are psychopaths in society?
1: Well the numbers are still very small in regular society i'm talking about pure psychopaths now ones who are who are born that way and have a very different brain functioning than the rest of us it's probably around 1% if you go to the power structures up towards the top in business politics mass media you'd be talking 5 4 or 5% maybe as high as 6% in certain things like banking and things like that but the thing is that unfortunately even though those numbers are small because there's a higher percentage of them within the controlled structure, within the power system, they have essentially infected. Is the term that I use, the the sort of like the the, the, the nature of mankind and the reality of our world, and created this what I call the the the, the psychopathic control grid, which is sem- essentially a world created in their image that gives them. Uh, you know, it gives them an easier right to the top because ruthlessness and lack of compassion, viciousness, are seen as valuable attributes in terms of uh, getting to the top. And it also makes the rest of us who are decent people, who have compassion, who would never stab, you know, others in the back ruthlessly as a matter of fun even. That's Many of them not even function on that level. We would never do it. So that guarantees that we never move up the control structure. So Although the numbers of psychopaths in the world and in positions of power is not particularly high, unfortunately, they have created a nightmare in which the ones of us who are not like that are trying to exist.
0: So they they may only be 1%, but they tend to rise to the very top, as you say, so they can do the most damage. Uh, do you differentiate between, uh, let's say, uh, a, a serial killer who, who may... Uh, uh, like a Charlie Manson uh or or members of his family for example uh or a son of Sam um do you differentiate between these types of individuals that prey uh that are that are part of the criminal element that prey on people as opposed to let's say the psychopath who's walking around on Wall Street in an Armani suit uh while not murdering people is is uh as you say, you know, uh, uh, stepping on people, all over people on his way to the top.
1: No, I don't differentiate other than I probably would feel safer with the latter if I was immediately next to them. But the reality is psychopaths don't normally kill because it, they don't want to get caught, not because they have, you know, moral or decency breaks. They don't. They just don't want to get caught. Now, that movie, American Psycho, with Christian Bale. It's yes. a, a very, very, very accurate portrayal of a psychopath in business. Very, very accurate. The whole lack of personality structure. You know, the scene where he's talking about the music he likes. He, he, ta- he doesn't talk about someone who has a passion for music. No. He talks about it as if he's read, he read reviews in a music magazine. They're actors. That's, They're actors. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. Well, there's no, there's no internal personality structure. That's why, you know, even the first major book on it, the, uh, the Mask of Sanity by Harvey Collectley, he pointed out that there was no personality personality internal structure you're basically dealing with a nothing a, a hollow vacuum that has on top of it a, a persona and the persona is the social mask it uses to pray but there's no difference really because when i when i was working on wall street i used to be a graphic designer for many years well not for many i'd say about, about seven about seven or eight years on wall street uh, and and working in communications i dealt Closely with people that were very much like that, and it was only through reading books on serial killers, in particular, books that profiled the likes of uh, David Berke, with the son of Sam and Ted Bundy, that I came to realise, and sorry, also you know famous vicious gangsters, that I came to realise that these guys were exactly the same. In fact, there was very little on non-violent psychopaths at that time. It wasn't until about round you know later towards 2000 and stuff like that that uh, Robert Hare's Without Conscience came out. But before that, was nothing, really. And uh, no, I don't differentiate. They're, they should be seen as dangerous uh, in different ways. But there's, if they could kill you and get away with it, the ones that don't kill you and get away with it would just do it, and they wouldn't care. It's only the fear of being caught and the consequences of going to prison that stops them.
0: Uh, so would, would we be able to say then, I mean, this is uh, speculation, but would would we be able to say that someone like a Berkowitz, uh, had he not resorted to murder, you put that same individual uh, on Wall Street, or let's say in Washington, you know, uh, in the, in the power structure uh, or the system the, inside the Beltway,
1: yeah,
0: uh, and 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 if he had a, a sort of a motivation in, in in politics, that he would have succeeded in those arenas.
1: Oh, absolutely, he would have no doubt about it. Look at the the Bush, uh, you know, cabinet from when he was in power in the early 2000s, and you look how some of those people like Cheney and the rest of them, uh, Wolfowitz, behaved and talked. They they were unapologetic in there, and they still are, and even Tony Blair in there their nature and what they did. You know, they're still boasting about how, you know, things like waterboarding and torture is was, was a great thing. There was this powerful kind of sadomasochistic S&M element to that particular Bush cabinet. Even uh, Gore Vidal pointed that out in one of his later books. And it's true. And that's, that's, they, they were turned on by the violence of being... Unrestricted and can do what the hell they wanted, and yes, I, I don't think there's a difference now. Berkowitz is an interesting case. We could go, you know, into all other places. In that in that in that particular case, I believe that Berkowitz was also heavily involved in a cult, and the cult ultimate all these cults ultimately go back to the intelligence services and they're used for social engineering and other kind of purposes. But yeah, there's no difference. You were to put him in that suit, stick him inside any major government or, you know, boardroom of any top corporation in the world, and he would not be seen as deranged or insane or even odd compared to many of the people in the room that were, where they're calling the shots.
0: Thomas Sheridan is here. We are talking about psychopaths. Uh, he the author of Puzzling People, the Labyrinth of the Psychopath. Thomas, when we come back, I want you to differentiate between a sociopath and a psychopath, and then we'll talk about, uh, you know, where else in society? We might encounter psychopaths, and also what are some of the more uh, recognizable traits so that uh, we can all spot a psychopath and get the hell out of the way if need be. Back with more of my conversation with Thomas Sheridan right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. We're back with Thomas Sheridan and uh, the website thomassheridanarts.com. Is there another website in addition to that, Thomas? I think you have no, few, that's no, basically,
1: that's, well, there's a few others, but that's basically the gateway to all of them. It's all, it's, it's, you get to everything from there.
0: All right. Uh, definition. Uh, what's the, defi- the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath?
1: There really isn't, Danny. It's semantics. There's, it's an interesting history about how the two terms came about. Originally, the, uh, the term commonly used was psychopath. That had been around in the context we're using it today from about the 1900 on. Uh, earlier temples were, temp, terms were things such as moral imbecile, and you know, you know it, that kind of thing. Now, then, then what happened was, and when Alfred Hitchcock made the movie Psycho, he the, the, he really did not portray a psychopath with uh, Norman Bates. Norman Bates was really psychotic. You see, a psychopath is not psychotic. They know exactly what they're doing. They're not, you know, they don't suffer from a disease that makes them do it. They, they know exactly what they're doing. So he kind of ruined the term psychopath when he made that film. And then clinical psychologists and other criminal psychologists started to use the term sociopath. But if you look at the, the, the two terms, they're... There's, you know, term for term or, ident- you know, trait and marker for marker down the list. They're all the same. And so it was just, they're just interchangeable terms. Later on, it's funny, when I started uh, making videos about this back in 2008, and I, I wrote Puzzling People around what's it, 2009, 2010, I was using the term psychopath at a time no one else was, really, and then the term psychopath seems to have come back into popular usage again, which is a good thing, because I think it's a much more kind of frightening term when you hear the term psychopath compared to sociopath. Sociopath has been kind of joked down. You'll hear, like, people are not sociopaths, saying stupidly, oh, I know, I'm such a sociopath, that kind of thing. But uh, there's really no difference. It's really just semantics and uh, trends within clinical psychology. That, but they're basically the same thing.
0: What well, What are some of the more recognizable uh, traits of a of a psychopath? You've sort of hinted, uh, you know, there is no inner personality. Yeah. Uh, there's no sort of moral compass. But uh, continue on with with the, the 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 list.
1: Well, let me explain that. Let me explain the the no personality one more closely they 'll have no they 'll have personas when they move from relationship to relationship they, they, they have generally have short term relationships they would never have a marriage or a, anything like that it would last a very long time or be in the same job or the same career or the same interest for a long time they 'll move very 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 quickly from one thing to the next and uh, they will invent a new persona so one year they could be a hippie uh, you know, into kind of new age things and stuff like that. And then they get sick of the person they're living with, and they they target a new person, and then that new person might be, I don't know, a white nationalist or something, and they'll completely switch... They'll the whole other direction and become like a pretend that they're not a white national or racist or something like that to impress that person. Or it's just it's just it's almost comical when you do see how they switch and how they change personas. But that's a common one. They're just targeting. It's it's like a it's like a predator changing its its you know its camouflage in the wild in order to hunt more effectively. That's the way it should be seen. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that lack of compassion is another one. They they, they it, when they do tend to. Ha- to like if they want if they're trying to show compassion they will often o- o- overdo it they will uh, they will put on a show at a funeral screaming howling and, and that kind of thing very uh, very, just trying to get attention to, to prove how compassionate they are. But they don't, wouldn't have genuine compassion. If they, if they saw someone they didn't know or had no use for drop dead in the street, they would just step over them like they didn't exist. And in a very cold way, like they wouldn't care. And they would actually be sh- surprised and shocked why other people are, are bending down to help this person who had a heart attack in the street. They wouldn't get that. They wouldn't understand why people were, were helping this person. It's just, to them, it's just be, you know. You know, tough. I, who cares? That would be one. They, they, there's 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 various traits, and we, we can't go round, uh, you know, constantly uh, looking for people, and thinking he's a psychopath or she's a psychopath, because nine nine times ninety nine times out of a hundred, we're dealing with a regular jerk. You know, but yeah, another one to look for would be. Uh, they don't really have a past. That's a very interesting one I, that always comes up and over and over again. They don't have a, a past. Hmm. How could that such, be? How could that be? Because there's, they never existed to begin with. It's the strangest thing. In my second book, Defeat the Demons, I write up about a, a, a very good survey that was done in. in, in in prisons in Canada of of killers who were serving life sentences and hardcore criminals like serial rapists and they were the ones who were psychopathic were identified and moved away from the others and they were they would have questionnaires and they would say things to them like uh, okay such-and-such you're you're in here for for being a rapist and the the psychopath would say oh I'm not a rapist what do you mean not a rapist you were found guilty of raping ten women oh I was a rapist then, but I'm not a rapist now, implying that this, the previous personality, they have a very strange understanding of time in the brain, and they do not think that the present version of them now is responsible for their crimes in the past, because they're not doing it anymore. Therefore, you can have a politician, a psychopathic politician, who can declare an illegal war right. which leads to the death of a million politicians, and then nowadays can be a, run an interfaith foundation for peace and cooperation, would not a hint of irony of of how absurd they i think are. we know who you're talking about <laughs> i think we all do yes and that, you, we know that that's a trait you notice a lot of politicians when they get caught they suddenly convert to christianity and things like that i mean very common that we see that but when you so say a,
0: they they have no past you, i mean there is a paper trail there are documents you're saying they simply they have no concept of a past
1: yeah, they live like animals. It's in the moment. Yeah. Right? Right. It's very strange. But, but you, you'll notice this because you'll find things in their. You, you say, like I said, there's a paper trail, right? You might meet one and, uh, you know, you might marry one. You know, that, and that's, let's, let's not forget they're all true society, not just at the top. And, uh, I don't know, something goes wrong. He, after a few months, he cleans out your bank account and, you know, he, he's gone. And he's told you before you married him. Uh, well i did I did twenty years in the Army, and uh when I left the services uh, I collected an early pension i was you know and then i I came back to work I opened this business whatever and then the person might start looking into the past and looking through that paper trail and find out that he had three or four or five marriages that he never told her about you know that kind of a thing right right and had spent time in prison, but he 'll be so convincing of his backstory. They're tremendous uh, liars and deceivers. And uh, this is why they make fantastic cult leaders, because what happens is, all cult leaders are all psychopaths, because what they do is they they find the insecurities. This This is one to watch out for. They will find the missing ghosts in your soul. If you had no father when you were growing up, they will become the father figure. If you had no mother when you're growing up, they will become, or they will, they will give you a mother figure. If you were any kind of trauma, loss, or a, a, an inability to fit in in your life, they will fill in all these ghosts in your soul in, that, in order to win your trust and hold you and pin you down. Are they? Then, uh, are,
0: are, there, are they? Are they above average intelligence?
1: And no, most of them are actually quite stupid. What they are is devious. See, we have, to, the, we have to understand there's a huge difference between intelligence, wisdom, and deviousness. Deviousness is just the ability to learn what you need to target an individual. But that's not born out of the need for knowledge or a quest of information and intelligence. It's just purely a pathological drive to, to use another person. It's, it's pure deviousness, and not in any way are they intelligent. In fact, they, they, when you get to spend time at one of them, you find out often how absurdly ridiculous many of them are.
0: And yet, uh, they, they, they rise to the top. That old adage of nice guys finishing last is true because the game, the world, seems to be rigged in their favor. How did that happen?
1: Well, this brings us to the most common the most sorry, most powerful trait of all, and this is one we should watch out for in our lives with not only the ones at the top but one who maybe wanted to try and get into our lives, start a business with us or anything like that, or have a relationship they They indulge in something that 's called gaslighting now, what gaslighting is it's it's literally when a psychopath take control, takes control of you takes control of your company, takes control of your country, and then changes reality. It changes reality in the terms of it will give you conflicting information uh, and contradictory uh, information that causes a type of dissociation in your own brain where you don't know if black is white or white is black, if up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left, and eventually you give up and in order to try and get any kind of normality and stability you acquiesce to the the to the, the demands and the gaslighting of the the psychopath sounds it's like par- something
0: sounds, like, sounds yeah. like something right out of uh, Go- Goebbels' uh, propaganda playbook
1: oh yeah well double and also george orwell's 1984 double speak is a classic example of 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 gaslighting it's, 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 a, it's an old clinical uh, psychology, psychology term that comes from that's based on a movie called Gaslighting which is t- tells the story of a woman who's actually targeted by a psychopath and he turns down the gaslighting and tells her the room is just as bright as it was before even though she's in near darkness and she believes it because she thinks she's going crazy and yet g- yes, Goebbels was the master of that and, you know, and also George Orwell warned us about it in 1984 because doublespeak was a classic example of that the the delivery of two completely contradictory ideas into your brain at the same time, you just don't know what to do, so you just say, look, tell me what to believe in and I'll do it.
0: Cognitive dissonance.
1: Yeah, well, it creates cognitive dissonance in yourself, really. Yeah. Really do- it does it in yourself, yeah.
0: Thomas Sheridan is uh, with us uh, on The Conspiracy Show. The website, again, ThomasSheridanArts.com. Uh, he wears uh, many hats. He's an artist, painter, uh, a, 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 um, an author, a blogger, and um uh, has made a number of uh, videos pertaining to our topic tonight, which is uh, psychopaths um, now how did you, uh, you you mentioned that you worked on Wall Street for six or seven years? Was this how you first encountered a psychopath and then became sort of fascinated by it and started to study it, or, or where did that happen for you
1: well as a little boy in Ireland, I was growing up when the troubles here, what they called the troubles here, were going on in Northern Ireland. Even though I grew up in Southern Ireland, there was a bomb, a car bomb, exploded nearby when I was ten years old, and it killed a load of people. And uh, it, it just was—I uh, just couldn't understand what would drive somebody to do that. I just couldn't get it into my head, you know, like in a kind of a naive, childlike way, how someone could. Put a car bomb on the street uh, and blow people, innocent people, up. And uh, I think that was probably a kind of a moment in my life where I stepped into consciousness, where, you know, it's sort of like suddenly I was aware that the world was a very different and a very bigger place than what a child might experience otherwise in the normal circumstances. And so it was probably just from that wanting to know why people did things like that, why wars existed, why, you know, those kinds of things went on. And uh, I just didn't understand how, if the world was run by the most intelligent and the most uh, clever and the most, you know, democratic people, as they constantly told us, well, why was the world such an absolute, you you know, insane asylum? And I, there was things along the way, you know, even before I started reading books on serial killers that gave me clues. I, uh, one film was The One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh ah, yes. And I remember thinking that Nurse Ratched, that she ran that, uh, that, that ward. All I want to do is watch
0: the damn World Series.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Listen, i got to take a time out Er,
0: Let me take a time out, Thomas. We'll come back and we'll continue to discuss uh, psychopaths right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. (laughs) We'll get back to my conversation with artist, author, researcher, filmmaker Thomas Sheridan about psychopaths in a minute. Follow the truth, too. My second live event is coming to Oshawa and the Region Theater, Sunday, April the 26th. It's an evening event. Great speakers. Again, visit www.followthetruth.tv for details, or call the box office to order your tickets, 905-721-3399. But here's an opportunity to win a pair of uh, tickets right here and now. Here's your question. One of our speakers at Follow the Truth will be the Honorable Paul Hellyer, talking about the money mafia. He served, as you know, as Canada's Minister of Defense. The question is, in what Prime Minister's Cabinet... Did he serve as Minister of Defense? Paul Hellier, the Honorable Paul Hellier, in what Prime Minister's Cabinet did he serve as the Minister of Defense? All right, Tim Spreen, my producer, is standing by to take the seventh correct call. And uh, you can call now. Phone lines are open at 416-360-0740 or toll free one eight six six. 744 740 the numbers again 416-360-0740 toll-free 866-740-4740 that's the seventh caller with the correct answer we're back with uh, thomas sheridan and uh, the website again thomas and uh, we are talking about a psychopath. You were talking about one flew over the cuckoo's nest just before the break and, and Nurse Ratchet, uh, uh, and of course the, the great uh, portrayal of, um, was it Randall McMurphy by uh, Jack Nicholson? And um, yeah, I, she certainly seems to fit the, uh, the mold of a psychopath, someone who enjoyed the suffering of others, uh, yep. who reveled in her authority and her power. Um, where, where else? Yes, yes. Where else do we typically find uh, psychopaths thriving? In what situations?
1: Well, the uni- uh, University College London, about two years ago, embarked on a research uh, te- survey, and they tested people in different professions for psychopathic traits. And they isolate the psychopaths within the different professions, and they came up with an actual checklist. People can go to my YouTube channel, Thomas Sheridan Art, and there's a video there where I talk down the list. And uh, not surprisingly, there was there was like things like politicians and lawyers, and I don 't mean to that' say all lawyers are and that, at the very top of it, but other ones there that came that were quite surprising was surgeons surgeons often scored very high at the psychopathic level Really? people and oh yeah because they the well the, the, the rationale they gave behind it was they would be psychopaths you Now the ones who are capable of being educated or are bluffing their way to educated, would be drawn to something like that it 's a high glamour job. It you know pays a lot of money it's a it 's a risk taking kind of power trip and it also in some levels if you 're operating on somebody like somebody 's wife or daughter or children or husband uh, and you you know you you kind of have to detach yourself from the fact that this is a human being. Uh, it's, it, you have to like literally you see it as an object while it's on the operating table and so psychopaths are very good at that because they don't see any, anyone as having any real value other than an, an object and so they would they would be drawn to that and also it pays very well it's a, gla- it's a glamorous kind of job it, you know it attracts women power and sports cars and that kind of thing so that's that scored right up there and uh, journalist uh, mainstream journalist was very very high wow uh, <laughs> yeah, well, but when you look at uh, what propaganda we have in the mainstream media is that is it really such a surprise you know but they they were very very much up there on the list as as was uh religious par- like a, a a religious person on a kind of a, a special mani- messianic crest so like someone who probably runs a mega church and has 10,000 people is raking a ton of money and they all love him or like a TV preacher and and and, and, a, and a, you know a new age cult leader who runs a, a comet debt cult who says you have to do what I do or the end of the world is coming soon and they you know and you must follow my word and my books and the messages that I give you from the space brothers and they live, you know. You can always tell those types because they don't live in a small apartment somewhere. Right. They right. live in a, a large mansion, you know. A, you know, a large, you know, palatial home in the countryside, surrounded by an army of enablers because they're scooping up large amount of, m- m- amount of money from sure. their gullible, yeah, their gullible followers. We have and to um, very high too.
0: This was a, a short segment. We've got to take another time out. We come back. We'll uh, we'll um, continue on. And um, I, I want to find out, you know, where where do they come from? These psychopaths. How is a psychopath? made, or is there some other, otherworldly explanation, perhaps? More of my conversation with Thomas Sheridan, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Thomas Sheridan is uh, with us, and again, the website thomassheridanarts.com if you'd like to see his uh, YouTube videos on our subject, uh, Psychopaths, uh, you know, how you can identify them and so forth, you can go to his YouTube channel, and give us that again, Thomas.
1: My YouTube channel is Thomas thomassheridanarts.
0: All right. Um... I want to find out, you know, what makes a psychopath. Uh, are, are they are they born this way? Is there a? I mean, you've differentiated them, uh, you know, from let's say uh, someone who is psychotic, uh, um, you know, someone who may have some underlying, you know, mental condition. Uh, so, how is a psychopath made? Where do they come from?
1: Yeah, the, a pure psychopath is born that way. They're like that from the moment they came out of their mother's womb. They their parents will often notice as young children that they were cold and different and uh, they're very manipulative not only of other children but also as of adults. They become sexually active very very early because they realize that sexuality is something that they can uh, use to to get what they want in life, or to blackmail people. Like for a young female psychopath, she'd start having sex at very early ages, often with older men, and then say things like, "If you don't give me a thousand dollars, I'm going to go to the police and say you molested me." This kind of thing. This is like the, this will happen very, very early on. They will have uh, they'll be the kind of kid that gave everyone the creeps at first, but they become manipulative, and they also would be the ones who would be the ferocious bullies at uh, in high school and things like that. Now their brains are very, very different. They have the same brain structure, they, all the, you know, the partitions and the, the, the neural pathways are all identical to what we use and the rest of us. But if you put them on an FMRI machine, which is a brain scan machine, and you, you present them with certain triggers such as things like violent images or things, and so on, and violent movies, they'll show no, no change in brain activity where a normal person, you know, the frontal cortex of the brain and the limbic regions is just where things like compassion exist and creativ- creativity too, you'll find that they're dormant in a the psychopath. They're not damaged. They're not broken or anything like that. They simply don't n- need them. It's a horses for courses analogy. They only need the, pa- the lower brain stems of their brains the, you know, the, more, the primitive part of the reptilian brain. Now, that's all they're interested in. Everything else is mimicry. So they're very different in how they use their brains. Very, very different. In fact, so different that Dr. Robert Hare of the University of British Columbia, who's the world's foremost expert on psychopaths and has studied studying them for nearly a quarter of a century, uh, calls them intraspecies predator and often uses terms like they're aliens and, and so on. And this is, you're, not, you're talking about a hardcore academic. Wow, and he talks about them in those terms. Is
0: he being literal when he's when he when he uses words like uh, alien?
1: No, I, well, he's using it as an alleg, you know, an, an allegory. But and at some levels, when I read some of his documents, it, it's almost like you can get the impression that he's biting his lip to holding back what he really wants to say because he's in academia. But yeah, I, I mean, I I, I have. I I I just don't know what they are myself, but I know what's in there. Like I interviewed two of them for the book "Defeat the Demons," and one of them I did on Skype, and the other one I did in a restaurant here in Ireland. And I never want to ever be near one of these guys ever again because when I looked into that this this guy's eyes, there was no human. That was not a human being behind there. Because he was told, he knew we were, I was dealing with him on a one to one basis. I knew what he was because he admitted to me because he, he he told me about it, and I, I basically bribed him to give me an interview, and uh, I, that was not a human being behind there what i What I saw behind there w- made me understand why people believe in demons and things like that because that was closer to what I was witnessing than a human being.
0: Um, well, uh, I mean, let's let's probe that area a little bit. I mean, I don't I don't know uh, if you are a spiritual person, uh, but do you hold that out as a possibility? That uh, you know, the Bible tells us supposedly the world is is ruled by by Satan, and here we have perfect examples of you know the the psychopaths that are running this planet. Uh, do you hold that out as, as at least a as a possibility worthy of consideration?
1: Well, let me tell you this, Richard. When I started looking at this, I wasn't a hardcore atheist, but I was, I was basically a, an atheist slash agnostic, not closed-minded, but I didn't want anything to do with religion or anything, or, you know, anything like that. After, in the, in, after, say, six years of intensive study into this, and also my other work into, the, uh, into serial killers, and also my work into the occult aspects of National Socialism, and how that was used to to, to, to control the entire nation. I'm, I'm no longer like that. I actually do believe that there are other forms and other entities that do exist in that crack between day and night that our ancestors called the jinn in the islamic world or the div right. that they called the you know the the the, the in the in the other traditions that they called the in the celtic tradition the fairies were actually often described in that way and what most of our ancestors called demons or demonically you know possessed individuals right. i'm now much more inclined to believe that something like that is a very real possibility because things have happened to me that look, dealing with this subject, that are definitely outside the bounds of what we would call, you know, rationality.
0: Could you share um, one of those with me?
1: Well, uh, I an example was a s- psychic attacks uh, like there was one I, like uh, i've suffered tremendous what they call psychic attacks when dealing in this su- this subject uh, particularly after my name started to become known it wasn't that i was like having anxieties over becoming you know well known as a, as an author within this scene I, I you know it was wasn't like anything like that it was like it it, it was a sense of something some kind of malicious force trying to literally scoop out my life in fact one time i was talking to a bunch of friends in an apartment in england one afternoon while i was doing a speaking tour there and i was talking about this uh, the the idea of the jinn, the, the Islamic idea of this, 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 de- this sort of the demonic other race that lives outside our perception, that infects uh, human consciousness and causes them to do, you know, pathological things. And I was talking about various fairies in the in the Celtic archetype that are similar. And uh, while I was saying this, uh, and something happened, uh, I, I felt like I was going to die. I felt like that my life was ending right there and then and uh, I had to stand up and grab. The the apartment building was an all-converted mill, and it had these long metal columns that went from the basement up to the top floor, holding all the different floors of the old factory up. And I had to physically hold onto the column because I felt like like my life energy was draining out of my shoes. And by holding onto the column, uh, it, it, it actually helped me, like, Gain a sense of magnetism or electricity back in my body that actually I, I was losing rapidly, and just by chance, one of the people there was a, like was a, shem, a person that like training in shamanic healing, and immediately they said you're being attacked by uh, some kind of non-human entity that has a great hatred of you, and these things like this have happened. No, I've actually say. Uh, and other things as well like strange synchronicities when i was when i was uh, when i was working on my last book *Valpurgis night about the occult aspects of, of national socialism right i was i usually because i'm an artist i usually start out my books with uh, a sketch now these sketches and doodles help me formulate the how i'll approach a particular topic or chapter and i started to draw this 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 creature it was like a I don't know, it was like a grey alien meets the Jolly Roger skull and crossbones symbol. And I suddenly felt again this sense of like my life force was draining out of my shoes again. And I had to go lie down for a few hours, and I didn't go near my studio for a few days. And I was going online, and I started to look at the book again. And because my book, *Valpurgis Night, really begins in 1919 in Germany, a very pivotal year, I typed in the year 1919 German movies because I'm, I think cinema is a great way to explore uh, not contemporary and past history because it really gives us a, kind of an oracle into the human condition. And the first thing that popped up was a poster for a movie called *Nerven*, which was about this psychic disintegration of Germans in 1919 uh-huh. following the First World War and that creature this demon was on the poster Oh that I'd my. Drawn, and I'd oh never seen my. before mm.
0: Yeah I, you know, the movie I thought you were going to mention was Nesferatu, But uh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that that would the vampire is a tremendous allegory for a psychopath. So it drains your energy, it sure. plays with your mind, and it can, you know, it, it it always seems to rise from the dead in a new form to target someone else.
0: How do we how do we fight back, or do we just get out of the way, Thomas?
1: Well, Mike, my, my maxim has always been no contact ever again. If you You know, and that's not just a psychopathic person. That could be a very toxic or dangerous person in your life. Just get the hell away from them. Just run. And have nothing to do with them ever, ever again, because there will be no happy ending there. It's not going to work out for you. They're constantly going to prey on you and play on your mind. That's the best thing. But we mentioned One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest there, and you mentioned Randall McMurphy. Well... They don't Because if there's no internal personality structure and they don't have a soul as such, they're useless at things like humor and satire. They don't, and humor and satire is a great way to get at them, just like Randall McMurphy did in that film. He was the jester. The jester was the only one in court who could mock the king. That's why I also do stand-up comedy and I do satirist, satirist stuff because that's a great way of Self-defense. actually defending against it.
0: <laughs> Amazing.
1: Yeah, that's a great way. And also, the other character, the Indian, the Indian, the, the chief in that film. Yes, he represented the native soul, the native spirit. Uh, psychopaths are almost non-existent within native cultures because they're spotted at a very, very early age and driven out of the tribe. In Western society, we don't spot them. And that scene within the film. Uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where Randall McMurphy exchanges a piece of Juicy Fruit gum with the chief, and the chief goes Juicy Fruit, and he, he realises then that he, he wasn't uh, like a deaf mute. He was actually deliberately keeping his mouth shut and was smarter than anyone. And that was a, that's a beautiful moment in that movie. It's almost like an alchemical moment where you have the, 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 that stick of gum became like the Philosopher's Stone, and then the two of them then had the power to take down you know, Nurse Ratchet's psychopathic empire within that ward so yet yeah, there's the two ways of, there's the three ways of dealing with it one get away from them defending your, your your psyche against them humor satire and laughing at them is a great way and then finally going into our native soul and looking for the the, the the depths of our culture and, see how our, and, and and learn to be more like our ancestors. And creativity is a great way to do that, exploring yourself artistically. Once you have that, you have a firewall around your consciousness. They cannot get into it. And more importantly, it gives you that space, that sort of like that, that parentheses that allows you to think and, and, you know, get around their games and machinations.
0: Thomas, uh, I really appreciate you spending some time with us. I know it's very early uh, over there in Ireland, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope we can do it again sometime.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. Anytime, sir.
0: ThomasSheridanArts.com, and give us the YouTube channel again, Thomas. The YouTube channel is
1: Thomas Sheridan Arts.
0: Thanks again. Thank you. ThomasSheridanArts.com, again, is the website. My website is com. That's your portal. To The Conspiracy Show, say hello on Twitter at Richard Sert, and as always, follow the truth. Show with Richard Serrano from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Hello there, and thanks for inviting me into your home. I just want to shout out quickly to uh, Dr. George Janescu, who hosts Big Band Sunday Night. That's the program that precedes The Conspiracy Show on our flagship station here in Toronto, AM 740, Zuma Radio. And uh, George uh, has a long way to drive, and it's pretty nasty out there. So I just wanted to say, uh, Dr. Janescu, two hands on the wheel and straight home. Uh, I see someone had a meeting in our boardroom. Down the hall, I I stepped in there and uh, helped myself to a nice piece of coffee cake and a cup of joe, and I don't know who left it. It's kind of a a cake conspiracy. Well, uh, I'm just hoping that someone didn't slip something into that cake, make it to the end of the show. Uh, I think so. Will the truth win out? Yes, it will. Uh, Our good friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley is standing by at the bottom of the hour with our monthly Paranormal News Roundup. I always look forward to that. Rosemary will be joining me in Oshawa at the Region Theatre Sunday, April the 26th for Follow the Truth 2, my live conference, and uh, she's going to fill us in on what she'll be doing at Follow the Truth. Uh, here's a hint. She'll be bringing something called a spirit box with her. Uh, I'll let her explain more, but um, uh, I think you can imagine what she'll be doing. the the, uh, the Regent Theater dates back to the 1920s, the vaudeville era, and I'm thinking there must be a lot of paranormal activity there. Uh, speaking of vaudeville in the 1920s, you know there was something that most physicians uh, used to carry in their little black uh, medical bag: uh, colloidal silver. It was quite uh, Quite uh, popular back then for for many different ailments. Well known, uh, similar to cannabis oil. That's another medical item that has fallen out of favor. Uh, And actually that dates back to uh, around 1910 and the Flexner Report. Uh, Abraham Flexner was hired by uh, John D. Rockefeller and Carnegie. Uh, They sponsored this report on behalf of the American Medical Association to go around and standardize all of the medical colleges and universities throughout North America. And because, uh, of course, the pharmaceuticals uh, were made out of chemicals produced by Rockefeller and they wanted a monopoly, right? Remember Rockefeller? The greatest sin is competition. Uh, So the idea was that they would only... uh, uh, accredit colleges and universities medical colleges that used pharmaceuticals and they convinced the ama to stop funding all the the naturopathic um, medicine colleges the ones that would have used colloidal silver and cannabis oil and herbal remedies and so forth and that's why we're at where we are today right with big pharma and all the the medical schools all they teach is is drugs 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 Uh, a little history lesson there anyway um Colloidal silver, right? We're we're going to talk about colloidal silver, and uh, it's it's still out there. You can still buy it. It's approved, although the, the manufacturers aren't allowed to claim that it does this or it does that. Although anecdotally, people swear by it for everything. Bruce McBurney is a self-taught inventor, electrical and mo- motor mechanic, repairman, handyman, and according to the theory. All known bacteria and viruses are killed by colloidal silver. In fact, six, some 650 known bacterias are killed by colloidal silver. Uh, you may want to research that yourself. But all these ugly little things in your body all have positive charges, as everything in your body works on a small amount of electricity. So when you drink colloidal silver, which is, which are minute uh, silver particles suspended in liquid when you drink colloidal silver, which is a negative charge it it 's attracted to these positive charges in your body, which are the the bad guys Bruce mcburney, how are you excellent How are you doing Very well, Last we spoke, we were talking about your one hundred mile per gallon engine, and I got a lot of feedback on that
2: excellent it's about time that we get this technology on the market. Well, we shall see that 's a pretty tall order i I,
0: I was uh, uh, telling people that uh, uh the story of uh, tom ogle and what happened to poor tom of course um the legend has it he uh was or he was offered some big money uh by big oil not to produce any more of his um his uh, carburetors his super efficient fuel injected engines and he refused uh because they said as long as you don't make any more we'll pay you a million dollars he refused and of course he was found sometime later in the desert so uh you know, this is not for the faint of heart to attempt to do something like this.
2: No, but if you take the idea that they're shooting our grandchildren in the head, uh, maybe we should get off the couch and do something.
0: Uh, true enough. True enough. Yes, we all need uh, courage. That's, that's for sure. Well, we
2: have you on uh, today,
0: Bruce, to talk about something entirely different. You wear many hats, and, and tonight we're going to talk about colloidal silver. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, in all my years on radio, I mean, I'm familiar with it somewhat, and I've, I've seen it uh, for sale and so forth, but I have never done a show on coital silver, so we're going to remedy that tonight, no pun intended. Let's start off with a basic definition. What is coital silver?
2: Um, coital silver is an electrically charged particle in distilled water, and it gets broken down to a singular atom and uh, the research says that colloidal silver can kill 98 percent of the bacteria known to man handles about 650 different diseases it's been around for 100 years or so uh, actually it has been around for thousands of years different things um, the egyptians they always knew about the silver alexander the great uh, kept his water in silver lined barrels to keep his troops strong uh, the people who crossed the prairies uh, in the covered wagons, the one that survived, put a few do- silver dollars in the water to keep the water fresh so the water wouldn't go bad on the long journey across the prairies. Um, in the Civil War, they would the soldiers would keep a silver dollar, so if they got shot, they'd put that over the bullet hole. And uh, there's all kinds of different things. If you uh, milk, put milk in a silver pail or put a silver dollar in the milk, before refrigeration, the milk wouldn't go sour, and uh, they even found that the river Ganges, the holy river in India that up you know people have been healed in that for thousands of years, upstream in one of the tributaries it crosses a silver vein
0: oh that's interesting because I've always wondered you know you see people there uh, their pilgrimages taking their other uh, baths in the uh, in the Ganges rivers ganges river and and yet you know that's where the the funeral pyres are lined up, and they're dumping, uh, you know, b- dead bodies, partially burned bodies in there, and, and it's, it's it's filthy, and yet, uh, you know, these these people are taking baths. So you're saying it's because it crosses over,
2: a silver, well, a vein of the silver. Years, there's been a little bit of silver leaching into the water, and if you do research on it, it you know, even at one part per million. You know, this stuff will kill stuff, you know. Um, I think it's three parts per million for E. coli, five parts per million for Streptococcus, and ten parts per million for fungus.
0: Now, this you were talking about a silver dollar and, and, uh, and, and pure silver, but how does colloidal silver differ again from pure silver?
2: Well, the fact that it's broken down using the electricity, so it's a singular silver atom. Uh, Also, I found that 95% of the people out there making colloidal silver are making it the wrong way. Um, uh, Number one, they use a very low voltage electricity, and because distilled water does not conduct electricity, they put uh, salt or vitamin C or some other impurity in the water to make an electrolyte so it conducts. But once you put an impurity in the water, you don't get singular silver compound, uh, silver atoms, you get silver compounds. So instead of with salt, you would get silver chloride. Ah. If you put vitamin C, it would be silver acetate.
0: Although I've never, I've never heard of uh, vitamin C uh, referred to as an impurity, but I, 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 well, I know where you're going. I know where you're going with that. Yeah.
2: If, if it's going to join with that silver molecule atom so that now it cannot permeate the cell membrane, it's disabling the effect of the silver. Now people say, "Oh no, that's crap," because I used low voltage silver and it worked. But the truth is, the product that you're—it does work, but the product that you're making is 80 to 90 percent compounds. Um, also, the other compound because they use DC current, direct current. If you remember your chemistry days, electrolysis of water—you put two bars in the water, the oxygen goes to one, the hydrogen goes to the other. Well, with the silver, that bar that the oxygen goes to turns black, and the colloidal silver comes out yellow. And that's silver oxide, just like your silverware tarnishing, it turns yellow. So how
0: does it, uh, first of all, let's, let's talk about how you make colloidal silver.
2: Well, according to the research, it has to be used very high voltage. 2,000 volts is what I use. They say over at least over 1,000 volts. So that voltage has got power to punch through the distilled water. Um, I basically take a microwave oven and I throw away the magne- uh, magnetron and I use the high voltage that's coming from the, that was powering the magnetron and I feed that directly to the silver bars. The silver bars are hung in the middle of the microwave. You took make put a two-liter pitcher uh, and it's a rotisserie microwave, so you put a two-liter pitcher full of, of distilled water in there. And it just slowly turns around, and basically the, the electricity goes from the, each bar.
0: How much silver do you need?
2: Well, it's about two, three ounces uh, to do it. Um, on uh, well, I guess the most bars are about four ounces, two, two to three ounces a bar.
0: Two to three ounces. So you're, you're looking at about $50, because uh, silver is around $17 an ounce right now. It's a good time to be making coital silver before uh, before it starts to take off.
2: Well, it would be a good time that I could buy more bars. Yes. <laughs> Just, you know.
0: and, and how much how much coital silver can you make from two or three ounce bars?
2: Um, well, I would say several thousand gallons.
0: <laughs> several thousand?
2: Yeah. And now if you go to the health food store, they want $30 to $50 dollars. For an eight ounce bottle.
0: So this is approved. How did they get it? How 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 has it been approved?
2: Well, uh, whatever through the government or whatever, I don't know. I basically uh, do mine. I say it's safe for all plants and animals. And my line is either you're a plant or an animal. And as long as you're not the wrong kind of plant, we'll get along fine.
0: And you can't make, obviously, you can't make claims that it'll cure cancer or diabetes or...
2: Uh, no, uh, I, I basically, I do not prescribe, I do not diagnose. I simply supply information and I supply products.
0: And so it, if we're talking t- uh, two, maybe three parts per million?
2: Well, uh, yeah, n- no. In the health food store, they usually make it about 10 parts per million. And... Uh, I make mine a little stronger because I like looking after my customers.
0: All right, and 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 how do you sell yours?
2: Uh, Forty-eight dollars a liter, thirty dollars for a half, uh, eighteen dollars for the two hundred and fifty milliliter.
0: And 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 where do you, where do you get that? Where do
2: we get that? Well, I have different stores selling it, or I sell it on of my home here, and uh, basically, different people around uh, have you know started using it themselves, and then they turn all their family onto it. And, you know, have people like a little Amway business where they just buy it from me and just resell it, and just been a kind of a networking thing. Because, uh, see, I went on the TV show Dragons Den.
0: Yes, I remember that.
2: And uh, basically, I had a, a, another thing is I I do the colloidal gold as well. Now, maybe ten percent of the population knows about the silver. Maybe only two percent knows about the colloidal gold. The colloidal gold is listed for anxiety, depression, fear, frustration, melancholy. It helps alcoholics, drug addicts, and people that are suicidal. Um, The colloidal gold is also documented by the Meridian Institute to increase your IQ by 10 to 30 percent.
0: Where can I get me some?
2: (laughs) Well, I'm one of the few people that actually do it. It's very rare to find. Uh, I well, you're
0: talking almost 1300 an ounce for a... Yeah,
2: well, I, I charge $40 for a half a liter, Okay. and th- usually I can't keep it in stock. I'm just, you know, people start using it. Um, the colloidal gold is great for um, anybody that's got mental issues. I personally believe that all these guys, PTSW, you know, the post-traumatic stress disorder... Yes. I think they've got a gold deficiency.
0: A gold deficiency? Yeah. Now, that's interesting. I've never ever in all my years heard that before. I mean, it's when we talk about the essential nutrients and minerals that we need, we, you know, manganese and chromium and things mm-hmm. like that, and lithium, I've never heard of a gold deficiency. So, I mean, how, how much gold uh, should we have in us? And I'm not talking about our fillings.
2: Well, actually, uh, that's another thing. People that wear gold chains and everything are a lot more mellow, and the gold does much better in your teeth. The gold should not be sitting in Fort Knox. They should have used that all in people's teeth rather than. There's no Mr. gold in Fort
0: Knox. Knox Bruce. Well, I, you know what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I'm. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. Listen, I got to take a timeout. Right. Uh, let me just remind folks, Bruce McBurney is here, inventor. You've heard him on this program before, talking about his 100 mile per gallon engine. Now, he's talking about colloidal silver. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Do not go away. And we are back with Bruce McBurney, inventor. And uh, give us a website, Bruce, where we, could, uh, we can find this colloidal silver and colloidal gold.
2: Well, I didn't put anything on the website because after I went on the TV show with my nanowater, yes. which is a combination of silver and gold, and have you ever heard anybody say 80% of diseases are from the mind? Like, when you're sad or you're depressed, it's easy to get sick. When you're happy, you're in love, the germs bounce off you. That's true. I think your emotional system's tried to your immune system. I agree, I agree. Well, I came up with this, putting this uh, 25% colloidal gold in 75% colloidal silver, and I call it precious metals nanowater, and it's been amazing. And I went on the TV show Dragons Den, and I told him it was curing cancer because the literature says it does. The people who have used it says it does. We have a published study out of the United Kingdom stating it does.
0: Okay, let me stop you there. This is because this is important. People love to hear about peer-reviewed studies, and I love to talk about them uh, as well. Uh, and they can be very political, as we know. However, so there are there peer-reviewed studies,
2: not basically pharmafia mafia peer review studies, but independent studies. The only uh, university in the entire United States is uh, in Utah that's doing anything with colloidal silver. Everybody else, every other, because the drug companies want nothing to do with it. (laughs) Go figure. Yeah, and actually I have a published study I can email to anybody that come, email, goes to my website. Now, my website is all on 100 miles per gallon, uh, but if they drop me an email from the website, I can send them information on silver or gold, and I also have an interesting file where the U.S. government did a study showing colloidal silver kills Ebola.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so I interrupted. Back to the Dragon's Den.
2: Yeah. So basically, after I went on the dragon's den, I got a letter from the Canadian government threatening me with 14 years in jail and a three quarters of a million dollar fine for what? making for making a medical claim. Ah. Now the way it works, according to the Canadian government, it would not matter if I had 10,000 people diagnosed with a disease, 10,000 people certified they use my product, and all 10,000 people diagnosed clean. I still can't say it'll cure anything until the medical community says it does.
0: Right, and that's not going to happen.
2: No, it's basically we're in a controlled system as far as that goes. And But I just basically think, just like I want to get the truth on 100 mile per gallon, I want to get the truth on this. Why do people have to suffer and die on this planet for greed?
0: All right, so let's talk about the anecdotal evidence, either that you know of personally or from studies what are, what are the claims? And these are, uh, I have to say it because I'm, you know, these are public airwaves and I'm on the radio here. I have to say these are claims. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying that this cures cancer.
2: No, um, you can, I can only say it's alleged to cure cancer. Yes.
0: Okay, so what, what are these allegations then?
2: Well, a couple of years ago in the United Kingdom, they had a research study and it came on and it says, research has proven colloidal silver to be far more effective than any chemotherapy with no negative side effects. Um, the science behind it is cancer is a fungus, and colloidal silver kills fungus. It's documented. They know it'll kill fungus. So, and you can put it on plants or anything else, and it won't harm the plant, and it'll just kill that fungus.
0: All cancers are fungus.
2: Well, they're all tie related They're basically the DNA of the fungus and that. There's a lot of... People that are coming out with this information. Now, this is what the statement is. There was an Italian doctor, Sacconi. He was using baking soda. Yes, protein. I've heard about that. Yeah. yeah, and there's a lot of people that research and say, yes, it's a, the, it's a, it's a form of a fungus. But see, you got to understand, cancer is a concept word. It's like saying that's a lovely forest. Well, you can have a forest full of maple trees or evergreen trees or coconut trees. It's still a forest. Right. Well, what kills the maple trees may not kill the evergreens. What kills the evergreens may not kill the coconut trees. So there'll be, you know, there's not one thing that'll kill all cancers, and basically, certain ones work very well for certain types of cancers. Okay,
0: how do you take it? You just uh, a spoonful a day, like uh, castor liver oil, or
2: yeah, you're not supposed to put it on a metal circum spoon or a metal container because an electrically charged particle is supposed to discharge it. So you put a little shot glass and just put it in your mouth, rinse it around. They say hold it in your mouth for a while and let it absorb sublingual. Yes. Um, You can also spray it on a cut scratch or burn within minutes the pain level drops. With sunburns you won't even peel. Uh, It's so safe, you can spray it in your wide open eyes, it's alleged to cure pink eye. I've had people claim it'll cure pink eye in two days, where regular medicine takes a week. I've had people claim that it helped their uh, macular degeneration and glaucoma. It's just been a miracle thing for so many different things and I can understand why the drug companies are scared of it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: I say, if the truth got on a colloidal silver, they'd probably lose about half their business. And if the truth got on a colloidal gold, with all these people taking antidepressants and everything else, they'd lose another twenty percent.
0: So, is it a preventative as well? I mean, do you do you? Let's say you don't have cancer. Let's say you don't have macular degeneration, but both of those things run in your family.
2: Uh, Do you do you take it as a preventative? I I I would believe it is in my own mind, but I have, you know, like I haven't had a cold or flu in ten years. And I basically used to have colds and flus all the time.
0: And how do you, so you take it every day? Hey,
2: every day I have a little shot of it. If I get a little heartburn or something in the afternoon, I have another little shot. Here's the weird thing, too. I've had bad heartburn. I went into a, a, a fast food restaurant, we'll just say, and I come out, and, I, and, and then a little while later I got the heartburn. Well, I just had my little thing of silver, and I had a little half a shot, and a little while later I had another half a shot, and the heartburn's all gone. And I used to be ulcers. I used to have ulcers, IBS, and had bleeding ulcer at one point, but it's all, all basically gone. And I'm, you know, I'm 60 years old, and I feel like I'm going to live to 150 if they don't shoot me for knowing how to live to 150.
3: <laughs>
0: Bruce McBurney is with us. We're talking about coital silver. Give us the website so people can get a hold
2: of you. Himacresearch.com. Hymn, Acre search is another way of reading it.
0: So H-I-M-A-C. A and, a. and then the word research, all research, one word. H-I-M-A-C research dot
2: com. com. Right. Now, also, I put free plans on YouTube. H I M A C Movie Man. All one word. Free yeah. movies
0: on how to make your own coital yep. silver.
2: How, oh, how to make a machine to make it properly. Ah,
0: okay. And how do you store it?
2: In glass bottles. Uh, originally, I was using a little two-ounce plastic bottle, but I found the silver is so fine it would go into the plastic and lower the strength. Ah, uh, interesting.
0: And and um, how do you make? How are you making your distilled water?
2: Oh, I just simply buy distilled water, and then I have a a TDS meter to check the quality of it.
0: A TDS,
2: a total dissolved solids. Basically okay. It basically will read the parts per million of what's in the water. And if you've got distilled water, it'll read zero zero zero.
0: All right. And so I mean you've got this this uh adapted uh you've adapted a microwave oven. You've taken the magnetron out. Mhm. No using the high voltage uh to uh to to um to generate the maximum, I guess, amount of electric the electrical charge you can.
2: Yeah, so the the wa- the electricity is going through the water and the bars are in the water.
0: Okay. What do you do with the silver after you've you figured it's pretty well spent?
2: Well, it's, if it's spent it's just ain't much left.
0: Oh, I see. It's it's basically dissolved. It literally
2: disappears. It you, will. Know, you can have a bar that's starting out with half an inch wide, an eighth of an inch thick, and when you're done, it's you know a sixteenth of an inch by a quarter of an inch.
0: And and how did you figure out the, the various recipes? You mentioned you know three parts per million is good for this, and five well, that, parts per million. That's all
2: mil- published research. It is. Yeah, I have uh, almost six or seven different books on it. On on the colloidal silver and you know silver and rife disease and Lyme's disease and you know there's so many different things that it's uh, been applied for It's it's wonderful for somebody with asthma they seem to not have asthma after a couple weeks and I wonder if asthma is a silver deficiency you know and it's like why you can have all these minerals in these vitamins why does no vitamins contain silver or gold that's true that's
0: true what what, is there any downside can you owe? can you take too much
2: well, the story is that uh, if you take too much, you turn blue. And there was a guy on Oprah, and they paraded him around, and his skin turned blue. But you come to find out that he made it the wrong way, the low voltage way, and he drank a quart a day at 800 parts per million. Wow. He effectively overdosed 2,400 times the prescribed dosage.
0: A- aside from a cosmetic uh, change, can you, hurt your, can you harm your liver, your kidneys?
2: Uh, as far as I know you can 't uh, he said, even though he turned blue he wouldn 't quit because it cured his asthma, his arthritis, his dermatitis, and his heartburn
0: and, and is it reversible that skin condition
2: the, There are doctors saying it, uh, it it is not, and there are other doctors saying yes, it is reversible
0: so i mean are you worried that the government is i mean the the, the, the conservative government uh, has has passed a number, and let 's face it, all the parties have been on board with these. Uh, you know, clamping down on naturopathic medicine. They're now, they're now uh, categorizing certain foods as drugs. Uh, I, I, and they're, they're apparently hiring and deputizing, um, you know, thousands of people to uh, to go into homes and, I guess, arrest parents if they feed their children blueberries. <laughs> I mean, I'm being somewhat facetious, but I actually had a lawyer uh, talk to me about this. He, he went through this piece of legislation. I can't remember the name of the bill. Um, I think you know what I'm on about.
2: Yeah, I've seen some of the things coming down on the government, and we do not have democracy. We have corporate dictatorship.
0: Well, I've been told uh, on good authority that uh, the employees at Health Canada uh, are instructed, and these are the people that are supposed to uh, oversee you know, the safety of foods and drugs and so forth. Uh, they are to refer to the drug companies uh, as clients. They refer to them as clients, rather than you know they're supposed to be help this you know safeguarding us against them. They're the clients. We're the real clients. We're the chattel. Yeah. Uh, So uh, I mean, are you concerned, or are there any rumors or whispers going around that there's going to be a clampdown on coital silver?
2: I don't know, and I don't care. I'm going to do the right thing. If it costs me, if they're going to put me in jail, I'm going to do the right thing. I mean, when I did the carburetor, if they want to kill me, I'll wake up in heaven and say, well, Lord, what's next? If they want to arrest me, they're going to have a lot of mean grandmas pissed at them, because I've got a lot of people that have been helped so much with this stuff.
0: Give us a few case studies uh, that, that you've dealt with directly. We just have a couple of minutes here, Bruce, just uh, a couple of case studies.
2: Um, well, one with Alzheimer's. The guy basically was so uh, bad he couldn't remember one day to the next. Got him on the nanowater a month later. He's remembering, hey, we were here yesterday. Uh, I guess with Alzheimer's, they wake up in the morning and they don't even know to get dressed. Three months after on my nanowater, a guy was, a guy wakes up and the. Uh, Fellows, an Alzheimer patient is fully dressed, sitting on the couch, teeth brushed, and ready to go. Wow. Yeah, and he's remembering things and coming back. Um, I had one girl who was postpartum depression when the babies were born. Yes. Uh, The one fellow said, When my first baby was born, she was terrible. When the second baby was born, I was just worse. When I heard she was pregnant for the third child, I knew I was going to get murdered or divorced. He, after the baby was born, got her on the gold, mellowed her right on, everything was fine, great, everybody. And she, actually funny, because the baby's about three, four years old now, she came by last summer and she said, you know, I, I want some more gold, but I got a question. She says, can you get addicted to this stuff? And I looked at her and I says, why? What do you mean? She says, well, when I'm not on it, I get testy. And I looked at her and I smiled and I said, "But weren't you testy before you ever got on it?" <laughs> and she says, "Yes." And I says, "Ah, oh, you were always a sweet little girl. You just had a gold deficiency." There you
0: go. Wow. Uh, remarkable, remarkable claims. I mean, obviously, I have to to uh, to advise people to seek out the uh, the advice of their physician. Now mm-hmm. that we now that we got that out of the way, Bruce, I got to get my hands on some of this stuff. <laughs> Is it good for arthritis?
2: Well, the gold is good for the rheumatoid arthritis, and the silver is good for uh, osteo. Okay. I have a video on a lady uh, enthralled with the arthritis, and I'm scared to put it on the Internet. It is such a powerful video. Wow. Within 10 minutes of her taking it, you know, she's doing finger dances where, you know, before she could only pick up the glass with two hands.
0: Remarkable. Bruce, we're going to talk about this some more uh, at a later date. This is important.
2: Yeah, this is amazing. Everybody needs to know the truth. My doctor never heard of it. My pharmacist never heard of it. They're all trained by the drug companies.
0: There you go. Bruce McBurney, inventor and uh, maker of coital silver, coital gold, nano water. And the website, again, is HIMACresearch.com. Thanks, Bruce. Talk soon.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Paranormal News Roundup with Rosemary Ellen Guiley when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is one of the leading experts on the paranormal with more than 50 books. In fact, I think it's closer to 60 now. 50 or 60 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single volume encyclopedias. Her work is, her work is translated into 15 in languages. She's worked full time in the paranormal since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, and presenting her teaching. She joins us once a month for our paranormal news roundup. Hey, Rosemary, how are you?
3: I'm doing well, Richard, getting ready to go out on the road. It's time to start uh, the events for 2015, and I have a lot lined up, starting with Los Angeles.
0: Oh, L.A. in uh, January, February. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a good time to get out of snowy Connecticut, I'm sure.
3: It certainly is. We just got uh, hammered, uh, not too badly in our end. We didn't get as bad as the coast.
0: No, that was, uh, well, it was projected to be far worse. So uh, um, thank God that, uh, you know, you didn't get uh, slammed too hard. Listen, I'm I'm also very excited because we're bringing you up uh, to uh, Oshawa for my Follow the Truth conference in April. And you're going to be bringing your spirit box with you. Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Actually, I'm going to bring two of them with me because I uh, I've got two of the best in the industry and one is called the mini box and the other is called the SB 11 and they both operate on the same principle they use radio scan, rapid radio scan, to generate a noise background, a jumbled sound uh, made from bits and pieces of the broadcast that enable spirit voices to manifest and the uh, voices sort of use the sound like a painter would use canvas to, to form something, to form words And they've been very effective in paranormal investigations and other kinds of uh, paranormal cases. I have been using them uh, since 2006, and I've tried uh, many different models. I've had original boxes made by Frank Sumption. I've used um, what was called the Shack Hack, uh, modified uh, radios uh, manufactured by Radio Shack, and some others that were made by inventors. And I found that these two are... Uh, The best in terms of getting results. So, what I'll be doing is a demonstration of these devices. And um, uh, if we have a chance to uh, go around uh, the the theater, because I understand there's activity there, uh, we might be able to pick up on some very interesting uh, EVPs. Uh, Sometimes the the voices manifest in real time, and you can carry on a dialogue with these devices. Well, that'd be interesting. Uh, Yeah, it would be very interesting. And then you also get what I call passive EVP. Uh, If you record the session, then there's always going to be additional spirit voices chiming in uh, on playback. So very interesting devices that many paranormal investigators have gotten fantastic evidence with.
0: Well, this is uh, Follow the Truth 2, our second conference. Uh, And again, we're uh, holding it at the Region Theater up in Oshawa. Now, this is a beautifully old... A restored theater that dates back to at least the vaudeville era. So uh, I'm I'm guessing there'll be lots of uh, spirit activity. You know the old saying, if these walls could talk, and I'm sure, and we're hoping that they will. What's the difference uh, between these? You have two types of spirit boxes. Uh, Do you, I mean, why the two different models?
3: Well, every inventor sort of brings his own take to uh, the technology. And uh, the SB-11 is much more compact and smaller uh, than the mini box is. um, uh, I can't think of something to compare it to, but um, let's put it this way. The SB-11 is is about the size of a, a big transistor radio, and it's very lightweight, uh, it has a few more modalities. Uh, there are different kinds of scans that are programmed into these uh, boxes, scanning up and down the band wave, uh, always up, always down, popping around. Uh, the mini box has algorithms programmed into it that uh, vary the scans every time you, you turn it on. And uh, the SB-11 has the uh, interesting capability of running the scan but on a mute, so uh, you, don't, uh, uh, you can filter out the, the radio sound in the background, which um, technically makes it then easier for the spirit voices to, to show up. And um, uh, investigators have had uh, varying successes with that. I'd like to hear the sound in the background because I think um, that augments it to have those sound waves going on. Um, but that's an interesting feature.
0: Okay. And Listen, sorry, let, let me jump in. We'll, we'll take a time out. We'll come back, and uh, we'll uh, we'll do our paranormal news roundup. and time permitting, we can talk a little bit more about uh, these spirit boxes. Rosemary Ellen Guiley right here on The Conspiracy Show, coming to Follow the Truth, April 26th at the Region Theatre. Back with more in a moment. And we are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley preparing for our, our monthly uh, paranormal news roundup, and we have some great stories, including something called, now get this, it's called Walking Corpse Syndrome. I kid you not. The official name is uh, Cotard's Syndrome, but we'll talk about that. Uh, the creepy saga of a dia- diabolical uh, devil, also known as the Monkey Man, uh, out of England. And uh, another story uh, out of England, many, many sightings of Slender Man, which is a global phenomenon, but uh, a spade of sightings, about four in the last month, In a mining town in the Midlands uh, in England. But uh, let's just step back for a moment and and chat a little bit more about this spirit box you'll be bringing to Oshawa at my Follow the Truth conference in April. Uh, Now, first of all, are you going to have any trouble bringing these devices (laughs) across border? You know, post 9-11, I'm thinking, you know, they look at all this equipment uh, very seriously now, Uh, radio equipment and all these doodads and dials and so forth.
3: They do, and uh, they do look rather strange and suspicious. But so far I haven't had uh, the security personnel uh, question me about the devices uh, other than a what's this for. Uh, But, um, you know, they run it through the the testers for, um, uh, you know, bomb material explosives uh, as well as the X-ray. So far I haven't had anybody try and take it apart. Uh, That would not be a, a good idea. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll see. And, All right. Uh, fingers crossed.
0: Yes, excellent. Well, looking forward to it. This is going to be exciting. Okay, let's, uh, uh, let's talk about uh, Slender Man. Uh, this is, I mean, how long has, have these Slender Man uh, stories uh, been going around? I'm guessing hundreds of years.
3: Well, actually they have, even though uh, the case has been made that Slenderman is a fictional phenomenon that only dates back about five or six years, having been created on the Internet as a fictional character. But you know, Richard, fiction mimics reality, and sometimes um, these creators, especially of paranormal and supernatural things, they tap into something that they may not even be aware, that they're tapping into something real. And Slender Man, this this tall, thin, darkly clothed, menacing man, uh, is a phenomenon that goes back a very long time. It's related to uh, appearances of the devil, the man in black, dark fairies, uh, the shadow person phenomenon, and uh, is related uh, in many ways by characteristics to another fairly recent phenomenon, the black-eyed children and black-eyed adults. These are scary experiences, and what happened in England is very characteristic of cases that I have collected for years that, um, that fall under the shadow person label. Uh, sometimes uh, these figures have uh, red eyes. Uh, one of the f- uh, persons in England described as having fangs. Occasionally um, black-eyed children are described as having saw teeth. And these are supernatural entities. I, um, personally, I believe they're forms taken by djinn or demonic entities, and they shape shift into scary forms that they know are going to terrify people. This has been going on for centuries.
0: Well, it's also somewhat related to the old hag syndrome because there is uh, some question as to whether or not the people that are, are seeing Slender Man uh, are, in fact, suffering from some type of sleep paralysis. Uh, they will often feel this, you know, this feeling of dread, uh, as if, uh, and also as if someone is, uh, you know, sitting on their chest, and and um, it's difficult to breathe. They hear strange scratching noises. I mean, we, we've heard all of these things associated with the old Hag syndrome.
3: And uh, you're, you're right; many of them are bedroom invasion kinds of experiences. People uh, have these false awakenings. Uh, sometimes they're, uh, it's uh, an experience that happens in kind of a dreamlike state, or they literally awaken from sleep, and they've got that uh, paralysis feeling going uh, where they're unable to move and, uh, and cry out. Uh, skeptics have said, well, uh, sleep paralysis happens to us every night uh, when we sleep, so this is just um, part of a nightmare that people are having i think it goes beyond that and uh... these entities know about our dream cycles and they know the most vulnerable time to strike and we are at our most vulnerable uh... when we're in this uh, sleep paralysis kind of condition so it's it's all part of a syndrome of, uh... demonic invasive attacks that supernatural entities have been able to do uh... throughout the ages um, I, you know, People ask me, is Slender Man real? Slender Man is real. The name Slender Man might have been created by a guy doing fiction, but he was describing a very real phenomenon.
0: Well, it's interesting because it is so cross-cultural. It goes by so many different names. The Scots have a name for it. Feared, Feared Dub, the Dark Man, the Dutch dubbed him Takenmann, Branch Man. In Germany, he's referred to as Der Grossmann, the Tall Man. Uh, so anytime you have something that, that goes by, you know, so many different names cross-culturally, I'm always thinking there must be a kernel of truth to it. But here now in the Midlands, four recent sightings, including a particularly frightening episode in a little town in the, in the Midlands called Cannock Chase. Um, and uh, a woman uh, who awoke at 2 a.m. again to the old... Odd scratching noises in her bedroom. Uh, Tell us about her encounter.
3: Richard, you've got me at a disadvantage. I can't remember exactly what happened to her.
0: Okay, sorry. Um,
3: Eight Uh, feet tall uh, in her bedroom,
0: white face, razor sharp fangs. Um, Oh, she
3: was the one with the fangs. Yeah, and it
0: started off as a sphere. Oh, right,
3: right. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I remembered all the experiences, but I couldn't remember which one happened to who. Sorry. Uh, So do you want to... Yeah, let me ask you that again. Just ask me again.
0: Okay. So here we have uh, a spate of four sightings uh, within the last month or two, all in the Midlands area of England. In in particular, a very frightening episode that happened in a town called Cannock Chase, where a woman woke up at 2 a.m. to uh, the sound of these odd scratching noises in her bedroom. Tell us what happened.
3: Uh, Well, she heard these scratching noises, and then uh, she was aware of this shadow that was sort of shaped like a sphere or a ball, and it was by the edge of her closet. Uh, That's almost uh, always where these entities like to hang out. They like to come out of closets, and they'll come out like balls or like little monsters or these big, big, tall figures. And that 's exactly what happened to this ball. It started to stretch, and it stretched way up um, toward the ceiling and It took on a face um, now oftentimes people will not see faces, but uh, she saw a face she actually saw a white face and with these fangs uh, and it was terrifying to her and It was like this um, this entity was floating um, you know in the room around her. Uh, very menacing, uh, and uh, there are similar experiences described by people uh, all over the planet. She said that this thing was about eight feet tall. That's what I find with the shadow people descriptions where people say uh, it looks like a man wearing a, uh, a, tall, a, a tall man wearing a cape or a hat, um, and they say uh, usually six to eight feet tall. So, um, again, uh, the same characteristics for a universal phenomenon. Another thing that's interesting about these cases in England is the mining that's gone on in the area, and areas that have underground tunnels, um, mine locations, subterranean caves, things like that, uh, often are uh, centers of paranormal activity. Old folklore, the entities come up through the tunnels, but there's probably something uh in the ore and um, the the contents that are being mined out of the earth that have an energy that enables to uh it it's enabling to these beings. It attracts them and energizes them.
1: Hmm.
0: Listen, um, we're not going to have time to get to the uh, the monkey man story. We'll save that for another time. But I do want to take some time—the time that remains—to discuss. This is a weird one. I have never heard of this before. It's it's known as the walking corpse syndrome, and uh, a, a case of a, a teenager who suffered from this for the the past three years. Tell me about this catard syndrome. What is it, Rosemary?
3: extremely rare. It's where uh, people feel that they are literally dead or that parts of their body have died. And uh, it's uh, an abnormality in the brain. uh, And uh, people literally can lose feelings in parts of their body. Uh, They go numb and they think that those parts don't exist anymore. They've died. People even think that they stink like the dead. And uh, this poor uh, girl, uh, thought that she was dead, and uh, she felt that uh, you know maybe she didn't even have to eat because she was dead. She started being fascinated by graveyards and that the people who were buried in graveyards were her relatives, her family. She wanted to go be with them to spend time in graveyards. She started watching zombie films, and uh, this could be a an interesting explanation for certain zombie conditions uh, where people. Start to deteriorate and and, uh, because they don't eat and they become increasingly um, mentally dissociative, uh, they would act like zombies. And uh, maybe this is one of the basis for uh, a lot of zombie lore that we have. That's an excellent point. Uh, oddly, she, uh, she's recovered now, and she used Disney films as part of her therapy. And I thought that was a real interesting twist, that there was something that um, aw- awakened a lot of emotion in her by watching happy Disney films. And uh, so now she's on the road to recovery.
0: Now, it's, it's interesting that uh, you mentioned, uh, in some cases, the sufferers from this walking corpse syndrome will stop eating. Uh, and there have been cases where the uh, victims have actually starved to death.
3: Well, yes, because they literally think they're dead, or they don't need food anymore, and uh, it can be very difficult to to get some of them to eat. And so, uh, here again, we have this uh, this image uh, that's popularized uh, in the media uh, with the Walking Dead, the zombies. They're raggedy, uh, decaying um, corpses that uh, you know have literally lost. They have no minds. They've lost their minds. And uh, we find this mirrored in real life in these real conditions. So, did one feed the other? Did did do these real life conditions uh, fuel the myth behind zombies?
0: I'm guessing it's quite rare, but I mean, how uh, how how rare is it? How many? Well, it... it
3: it was first documented in the 18th century, and it was named in the 19th century. So, that's really a fairly recent. Uh, development in, in uh, medical science, the condition could have, um, it could be much older than that and just not have been, uh, you know, diagnosed by uh, the medical establishment.
0: Any known cause?
3: Uh, it's an abnormality in the brain and uh, it creates a literally a, a, a mental um, uh, condition. Uh, That has to be treated um, by uh, medical science, by psychotherapy, Um, and um, uh, people have this illusion. They are under an illusion which has physical effects. Uh, The body actually has physical symptoms to it.
0: Well, it's a strange one, Rosemary. It's a strange one to be Uh, sure. Uh, it, listen, it
3: certainly is. Uh,
0: we'll talk next month, and um, again, very excited. You're coming up in uh, April to join us at Follow the Truth uh, in uh, April 26 at the Region Theatre in Oshawa with your spirit boxes in tow, and hopefully we'll capture some spirit voices on tape. In the meantime, people can learn all about you and your 60 books, I think you're up to now, at VisionaryLiving.com. Thanks, Rosemary. Always a pleasure.
3: Thank you, Richard. Good night.
0: Good night. All right, that's it for us. Hope you enjoyed the program back next week with a brand new one. Hope you'll be along for the ride. My thanks to Ian Robertson, Tim Spreen, Albert Vinzel, and all of you for listening at home. Don't forget, Follow the Truth 2 conference coming up April 26th. Order your tickets and uh, more details online at www.followthetruth.tv. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper... Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.